This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business, supply chain and globalization and their effects on the way we work, play and live our lives today. In uh, today's program, we will be talking to Alexander Nauroth, partner at the Dusseldorf-based managing management consulting company Lebenswerk Consulting Group. Uh, Alex has joined us here on the show uh, twice before to talk about his consultancy business and also to speak about one of his areas of expertise, um, which is ocean freight. And we spoke about that last year during the uh, ocean freight uh, crisis. Today, however, I've asked Alex to come back and uh, talk to us about his core area of expertise, which is sales and his proprietary uh, SEALS sales program. Uh, so in good times and bad, all organizations whether they provide products, services, or, or both to their customers, they're always looking to increase their sales performance because, of course, without sales, there can be no business. So Alex is going to explain to us today how it's actually possible to save 30 to 40% on your sales overheads while at the same time increasing sales revenue. So I, I guess a lot of people will be interested in hearing how you do that. So on that, welcome, Alex, and uh, thanks for being here with us again today. Yeah, thank you, Patrick. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So maybe before we get into the, the serious thing, so maybe this is a more serious thing. Um, I was curious to know how you um, are getting on with your move from the Netherlands back to uh, your native Germany. How is it going? Oh, thank you, Patrick. Uh, very well. It's with a laughing eye, with a sad eye. A uh, laughing eye, I mean, of course, I'm from Germany, can't quite hide my accent. So it's nice to be a bit closer to my home turf. But we're living uh, less than 15 minutes from the beach by bicycle. So, um, you know, that's not easy, but overall it's going well after the summer holiday. And we just took away also a major great summer. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So you're going from near the coast in the Netherlands. Where are you going in Germany? To Dusseldorf. Uh, my Dusseldorf hometown. Back, back to Dusseldorf. Yep. So, yeah, I've, you know, I've moved country. Um, well, I moved away uh, in 1986, moved back in 1996. And it's always a kind of a, a stressful uh, time and, and undertaking. Um, for you, any major differences in living uh, between Germany and Netherlands, differences between those two countries? So I think in general, culturally, I think we are quite similar. But I would say from generally looking at certainly the current difficult times we are in, I find that the Dutch people are generally a little bit more of optimists. You know, they're really trying to make the most out of even a dire situation. And you can see that, you know, from the way how they really look at COVID, not that they take it lightly, but they're having a way of uh, making the most out of it, looking forward and trying to find opportunities. And the same also applies with the energy crisis. Uh, and um, so I would say probably there's a more progressive way, um, you know, in crisis to look really ahead. And I think that's what's also important. You know, it's often a state of mind. Most barriers are rather internal than external. That's what I believe, especially today in our digitized world. And I think the Dutch have this certainly in advance. On the other hand, the health system, I would say, is probably better in Germany uh, compared to the Netherlands, slightly better. But yeah, uh, overall, we really liked it here almost about two years. And yeah might be a good chance that we are back in a few years yeah interesting yeah so you possibly further moves in the future yeah correct so uh sales then let's talk about sales so what what would you say are the key success factors for what could be termed a high performance sales organization right thank you it's a very good question um so i would probably divide this in a strategic and a tactical part 
strategically, there are three major criterions in my experience. The first one is you have to really come up with a strategy which deserves the name strategy. Most strategies are unfortunately nothing else than just major complicated plans, a combination of actions. And um, a great strategy really is a target image you want to be in in a few years. And then you're thinking about two or three ways on how to get there, right? Um, and it's also important that they are aligned, the strategy, with the product strategy. If this is misaligned, like what you always have in many organizations, then even the best strategy doesn't really help you to get ahead. And secondly, the second criteria strategically is that you have to have an execution mechanism, which is very much progress-driven. So focus on progress. Now, most managers who would listen in would say, look, I'm very progress-driven, right? Like we all want to progress. But if you really look at ways on how we actually track and measure progress, we will find that a lot of organizations are really measuring, well, have we done this input? Have we done that action? Those number of meetings which we had in our plan, rather in asking, well, how do we actually track, right, that we have progressed? And with that, you need a more agile um, way, which in my experience is, for instance, the OKR, the Objective Key Results Approach, more to that later, yeah? And the third one really is that a strategic uh, a strategy has to be very emotionally loaded. Otherwise, it's very difficult to um, yeah, motivate people to give an extraordinary performance. Just in numbers, it will be very difficult because they're very abstract, right? Now, from a tactical part, there are other three success criteria. The first one is, I find that the topic of recruiting talent is probably the most under-neglected uh, thing, right? Of course, people will now say, or a lot of people will say, it's very hard to find the right people. That's right. But I'm always saying, look at recruiting with a different eye. You know, how well do you get your current workforce to look in their own networks? How rigid is the process of really getting people on board? And don't just find um, a new salesperson um, or any commercial person because there hasn't been anyone else. It's rather better to have not one um, instead of making a premature recruiting decision. The second one is uh, to look at the incentive system, uh, but the incentive system is often very much extrinsically driven, um, you know, on monetary items very strongly and, uh, you know, with all different variations with a cap or without a maximum, right, uh, a bonus, but more importantly really is to think differently because most people lack a recognition internally, you know, they rather say, I'd love for instance, as an incentive to have one or two people who can help me maximize just on being outside with clients, for instance, an assistant or maybe someone who is doing the back office work. Yeah. So thinking that differently. And the third one certainly is, um, you know, to always really think, well, where do people see themselves in three to five years? Not every sales hero you have at the moment will forever be in sales. So really think ahead and think about in career planning is there anything else they want to do? And it's okay, even if a champion says, you know what, in a few years, I want to do something different. Mm -hmm. So I hope that answers that very complex question you asked. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the difference between um, intrinsic and extrinsic uh, motivation. Yeah. I'm reading a book, you may have read it by uh, Dan Pink called uh, Drive, where, yes. he, where he talks specifically about these, these differences and which, which apply to which type of work. And I think maybe the extrinsic um, uh, motivators apply a lot to salespeople in, in, in different roles, would you think? It does. It does, certainly. I mean, um, I, I agree with, also with, with Dan in those things because 
what we do forget is we don't stay at a company or even you know clients don't stay with a company just because they always have the best extrinsic factors which is price you know which is certainly um you know rather really a feeling of being taken care of and this feeling of being taken care of if you don't have that inside a company and if people even your staff don't feel like they've been taken care of at some point even a great bonus will very quickly wear off and there are studies that no matter how much you raise someone's salary after three months they are as happy or as unhappy as they previously were irrespective of the higher intrinsic factor yeah interesting um in in a sales team does the well you know most people listening to us are probably familiar with the with the 80 20 rule or Pareto's law and yep. in, a, in in a sales team is is the 80 20 rule if you like is it inevitable in sales and if if it is uh, how do we deal with this reality in a practical sense? And what kind of insights does the 80-20 rule give us with regard to a sales organization? Right. So you refer to the 2080 as, and I think also for listeners, that 20% of any sales force as an overhead will deliver or will stand for 80% of the impact, right? 80% of a new business, 80% of client growth and so forth. So you are right. It is pretty much inevitable. Um you know, because you would always have a disparity, a difference in performance based on different experiences, based people maybe just got lucky or just simply put that there is far less really great talented people out there than the majority, which is doing average performance. Now, we can't change that, but what we can critically reflect is, and this is kind of also linking then into the approach I have pioneered is that inevitably, most sales organizations are simply too large, right? So, um, you know, as an effect of that, you can really ask yourself, well, what is the magic bullets these top 20% are using or these top 10 or 15, because sometimes you even have a 10, 90 share. Um, and then the fact is to say, well, and then to think of, well, the remaining 80%, which only accrue for the rest, for, for the 20% of the performance, is there any group of these 80% that with a higher focus, we can perhaps get close to or very, very much to the same level than the current top dogs. Yeah. And this is inevitably also where I'm thinking where there's a lot of impact and uh, revenue to be gained on top. Mm. It's interesting. I, I do a lot of work in operations. Now, I know it's a totally different field, but we have the same 80 20 rule appears, yes. say, with, with order pickers. And what we often find is that the disparity between the best performers and the worst performers is very wide. So while we understand that the 80-20 will probably always be there, what we're trying to do often is to um, improve the performance of the lower pickers and reduce the variability about the mean so that there isn't such a wide disparity. So we get a higher overall, yeah. notwithstanding the fact that the 80-20 rule is still there. So uh, many, many sales teams probably over the last uh, 18 months or so have probably seen their results going up ostensibly or apparently if you like um but probably more because of rate hikes than because of anything else so what advice would you offer to people who are uh, managing uh, sales organizations where this has happened yeah so there's two or three things i would say the first one is really volume 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 focus it's really all about the number of units be it in freight forwarding would be a number of teus of chargeable weight it would be maybe the number of truckloads, the number perhaps of, you know, inverters or drivetrains. If you work in a machinery type of business, you are uh, pushing through. 
um, to really focus on the volume, right? Because um, the thing is that a lot of organizations are very much heavily focusing on the profits generated through the sales, often linked to the multiplicator of their own cost of company. So for argument's sake, if the total cost of company of someone in Ireland is 100,000 euros, right, with expenses of everything, typically the, the uh, calculation, Patrick, is two to three times should be the return, right? But now in um, times of a significant rate increase due to the market, not due to the performance of the sales, these two to three times factor can very easily be achieved, even from very little sales efficacy, okay? And if you don't link um, the measurement of sales with a volume target, then say your rate is quadrupling, okay, or even going by factor five up, which has often been the case in freight forwarding sales, then you could lose, even if you lose 50% of your volume, you have been twice as good as the year previously. And that's the danger of that. So that would be my advice, okay? Yeah. To to really look across. Really so, so for example, if, if a container was selling at uh, $2,000 in, in 2019 yes. and at $20,000 in 2020, yes. um, if I'm not looking at the actual number of containers that are being sold, well, then I'm going to get a, a, a misunderstanding of my performance. Is that it? Correct. I have one uh, client where, for instance, there was one particularly lucky salesperson. He got, I think, a low four-digit bonus in 2020. And a year later, he almost got 100,000 euros. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and because the, because the rates have been 10 times higher later on, but he hasn't gained 10 times the volume. But the uh, the company in the past measured too heavily on revenue and, and on gross profit. Yeah. And that's exactly then what happens. Okay. Um, another angle on this. So what we're seeing technology coming in in lots of different um, facets, yes. facets of work, and it's going to be coming or it's making its way into sales as well. So what do you see as the, as the future for sales and how can sales organizations combine people and technology to best effect and how to deal with, because I know in sales, you're going to get a lot of traditionalists and a lot of skeptics. And how do you deal with that in sales organizations? Well, here's the thing. I think people are often very skeptical because someone else decides what they now have to work with, right? But if you look in the real world, outside work, it's often the case that uh, people on their own, you know, would get a new type of smartphone, would maybe move countries every two years. They even adopt new apps, right? They try out new sports. So why is it so difficult in a corporate environment? Like, why is it so difficult that we accept change? And I think it's often, Patrick, that something is developed by maybe a very small group of top-line executives without the input, what actually works and what it makes a difference in a sales life without um, a sales group. So I think the best thing is, if you're having such an um, organizational change program, to really involve people from the front line, sales, sales managers, and make them part, let them try out certain technology aspects. Yeah, this is number one. Number two is, certainly you have to have the right culture for that because if it's just a culture of the same old, same old, we want more, we want more, then it's very, very hard for people to accept a new way of technology. Conversely, if you, for instance, incentivize people, right, and say, look, if you, for instance, convert a certain number of customers um, that they are having an EDI connection with us, or maybe they are adopting certain new cool IT tools which cost money, but which are maybe only younger than five years, you get a far higher bonus 
can you get people to be more interested on that and, and also on selling those? And the last aspect of your question, how do we deal with the traditionalist and technology skepticists? There is often always a group of 10 to 15% who will still not want to change. And let me tell you, Patrick, that during Corona, I have actually observed that there is a reminiscence, a little bit of, yeah, now I can see customers and now, oh, no, I don't need to use Teams or Zoom or anything else. And I want to now call customers on my own. So the number of customer visits, it's largely overestimated, which are required to make really a deal. Yeah, People are doing this out of their own habit. It's nicer to have a coffee somewhere. It's nicer to have a face-to-face -face discussion. But the fact of the matter is that during COVID, a lot of multi-million dollar deals were done online. Yeah, So it's really that combination of things which I've mentioned, which will make the big difference for the sales efficacy of organizations going forward. 93.9 Dublin South FM. What do you see the best organizations doing now with regard to managing their sales um, uh, operations? And how would uh, small and medium-sized enterprises looking at those, how can, they, how can they emulate the best operators out there? Okay. Um, so I think, you know, what are the best organizations doing now? The future is decided now. You know, a recession is more really you know, effect on how seriously you want to take it. I, again, you know, it is easy to get carried away by external barriers like that, of course, we have the Russian cause war, unfortunately, we have the energy crisis, but there are still some organizations who thrive. So it's really thinking beyond and thinking, well, they have a very sharpened sales strategy to think, well, what is happening in a year or two years from now? And how do we anticipate the future? And then to think, well, on what two or three fields, niches for SMEs, can we really be service leader or can we be quality leader or both yeah and then i'm going to try and focus on those um and the second one is for smes really is to look very critically at your sales overhead and say do i really need to have a physical fde which cost me 100,000 euros or more a year and what efficacy do i do i actually getting for this uh, for this staff to really critically look at that and say am i getting in terms of volume or gross profit growth two, three, or four times the amount back. And if that's not really the case, you know, then I have to really think about, well, maybe I can with, you know, sort of um, lowering the size of my team, get a much more sharper focus and uh, have a much better focus on developing my people. I've heard, I've heard you say, and I've read some of your, your white papers and so on, where you, you make this point about most sales teams being uh, larger than they ought to be. And right. perhaps they should have uh, fewer members. So how does that look like? What kind of numbers? I think this is where you come up with this um, figure yeah. of maybe 30 to 40% um, reduction in overhead with the same sales or greater sales. Just explain how that kind of would work in, in, as in yeah. an example or a fictional, fictional example even. Absolutely. So thank you. So I think, you know, what I want to really say at the beginning is that, of course, every case out there is different, right? There are similar patterns, but I want to say, I'm not a fan of saying this, this one methodology which works in every case. I can only really say um, I can, um, came up with this program based on probably one or two dozen or so cases I had with very successful companies. And I want to draw your, um, you know, draw your attention to a certain example. Say we have an organization of 20 salespeople. And let's just say for argument's sake, they all are in outside sales. Yeah, These 20 salespeople, if we do adopt the Pareto principle, it will mean that four out of these 20, right, Patrick, the 
will do far more sales than the rest of the 16, correct? Yeah. So we have this classical 20, 80%. So it means essentially that four staff out of these 20, yeah, and the 20 staff in total cost you probably 2 million or one and a half to 2 million a year, really only generate their own uh, cost times three or four and really justify a fantastic business case. So the question is, what am I doing with these, the rest of these 16? And now my suggestion is to look at these 16 yeah, and to cut this into two groups, okay? So the previously mentioned top performer, those, those top four people, we're going to call the SEALs, yeah, um, kind of linked to the uh, Navy SEALs from the US, mm -hmm. a small elite uh, team. Yeah? And the remaining 16 FTE, which we have, we divide into the SEALs developers and the other one in the question marks, okay? And the SEAL developers, you know, are obviously round about eight people, yeah, half of those, 16, which with a different set of training, with different career developments, and perhaps also with a change of their leadership structure they are within. Because let's not forget that a wrong leader can have a very, very bad effect on the performance, on the intrinsic performance of someone and the intrinsic motivation, to be precise. So I can tell you from experience that minimum 50% of average performing people I can turn, okay? So that's why like the eight of the 16 is round about a good way to say they stay within the team, okay? And the other eight, yeah, of the lowest performers who really, and just not looking at the numbers, but from, you know, having assessments with these people, they might be better suited, Patrick, in other divisions, perhaps in a product development, perhaps in a customer service function, perhaps even even, even like in an, in like an inside uh, satellite sales function, okay? And what you're then doing is basically, I mean, it's, um, I mean, I'm trying to do it as practical as possible um, to our listeners because, you know, I cannot draw anything, but you basically take the customers of these bottom eight people and um, re- you know, reorganize them on the other eight SEAL developers, okay? Reassign them, if you like, yeah? Reassign them, correct. That's the right word, reassign them. Thank you, yeah? So it basically means out of the original 20 FTE, we are taking eight people out, okay? And by that already, we have a reduction of overhead of probably around 40%, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. And it basically means, though, that we still have the same number of people taking care of the same number of customers. And because the eight SEAL developers will more or less only generate their own costs. They have far more room to grow, yeah? So what we're basically saying is, with now 12 instead of 20 people, we can manage the same number of customers, and with an increased focus now of management, bringing, and, and obviously with the program, to bring these eight people to the same speed to the four, we can even grow, um, you know, these uh, people to the same performance like the top four originally, okay? So, if we now make a sort of uh, you know a conclusion with that, we can say we're taking around, if we say 20 FTE costs you 2 million euros, we're taking 800,000 euros out, 8 FTE we're taking out, okay? So we're already saving 800,000 euros per year. And we're increasing the sales efficacy of these eight SEAL developers that after six to nine, roughly 12 months, they have doubled their own cost to company factor so that overall the return on sales not only increases by 800,000 euros of the cost we've saved of the sales organization, but also we're making each one deliver a far higher uh, cost to company factor. Okay. Got, got it. And you have actually a 
SEALs sales team uh, program. So yes, what, what, does that, what does that program involve? How do you implement it with, with clients? Uh, what are the outcomes? What's the investment and so on? Yeah. So, I mean, of course, um, you know, it totally depends on how big the sales organization is. Um, I'd say if you have a minimum number of 10 people in your sales organizations and outside sales, it actually makes sense to, to, to think about that. But I have clients, Patrick, you know, who have organizations up to 150 or 200 salespeople, but also have very successful clients who are between 10 and 20 clients, uh, uh, sorry, 10 to 20 salespeople per year. Um, you know, again, um, I think the, uh, the scope of our call probably won't allow me to get into a great detail here. But overall, I can say, essentially, uh, you're really looking at what are what is the general objectives, right? Um, you know, of uh, um, you know possible customers or of your listeners. You know, what is the outcome they're actually trying to achieve? Is it really about that? I'm saying, well, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, how my people can in future deliver better sales, um, or I'm saying I'm pretty much sure, but yet I can't really get them to really scale my business with new products. Yeah, so it really depends then. But what we're going to look at is. We assess the current sales organization and say, really, you know, where are the top sales people that can be often quickly been done. But we're looking at this from a neutral aspect where we say we're taking outside market elements where sales are not really, um, you know, having a share in, like, for instance, outside driven market um, increases, market rate increases and so forth. And we essentially assess people and look at which are the ones who are sales developers and which are the ones where we think despite our best efforts, despite our best aims, it probably might be in everyone's interest that they are not part of this organization anymore, okay? And then, of course, we come up with a very much progress-driven metric with, with objective key results with a uh, very agile method where we track in every two and four weeks the progress uh, that we can really track and measure the return on invest of the sales organization. And typically, it's a program between, between six and nine months, yeah? And the investment, uh, of course, is uh, depending on the case. Um, and I'm very happy to discuss this, uh, you know, when people are interested and reach out to me. But in generally, um, you know, you're looking at a return on invest from the invest in me to the really measured and proven outcome after six to 12 months of one, sorry, uh, 10 to one. So round about 10 to one return on invest of the investment of me. Okay. And I can demonstrate this with several client references. Okay, so that would mean if somebody were to invest a hundred thousand euros with you, yeah. they should be expecting something in terms of a million. In correct, that's correct. Okay. Got it. Okay, so uh, I guess you know we're, we're always against the clock on on, on this mm -hmm. show. So as we as we come to an sure. end, I might might just ask you: Are you are you reading or listening to anything uh, lately that's inspired you that you'd recommend to listeners? Great question, Patrick. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, I was thinking about this uh, question now when you've uh, read it. And the first book which came to my mind is a really fantastic book called Humanocracy. Um, Humanocracy from Gary Hamel and Michelle Zanini. Um, Humanocracy, as the name suggests, is all about how we make innovations a lot more innovative, a lot more uh, agile, um, and especially how do we change an autocratic leadership approach to a more meritocratic approach on how we really enable people reaching their fullest potential and beyond. And that's a fantastic book. Excellent. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, hopefully some of our listeners will as well. Yeah. So to finish then, uh, Alex, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about your work and your services and, of course, the uh, SEALS sales team program? Well, I mean, of course, you can 
Google me on uh, or look me up on LinkedIn under Alexander Nauroth. I guess you will share my full name uh, with your listeners, certainly on the show. Uh, also under www.lebenswerkconsulting.com. I know it's a long name, uh, but probably the easiest is that, um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, also listeners can directly go to you, Patrick, and yeah, perhaps, um, you know, you can also help to link them up with me. Of course, uh, pleasure to do so. So thanks, thanks, Alex. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you again today and wishing you uh, the very best for continued success. Thank you very much, Patrick. It was an absolute pleasure. And thank you for being such a great host. You're very welcome. And thanks also to our listeners. Uh, keep well and stay safe until next time.